Good morning. Uh, great to see you guys this morning. Be with you as always. Uh, if you're new or visiting or blessed that you're here, thank you for choosing to come out to Calvary and the worship. If you're, if you're new to Island, uh, welcome to Okinawa. I know I got to meet a couple that are new to Island or relatively new to Island. As LJ mentioned, uh, there's a projected typhoon that's coming our way. And uh, I think as early as tomorrow, it might be here. So first, I praise the Lord because it's been a pattern where uh, typhoons have been coming on the weekends, right? So first rejoices. Thank you. It's coming on Monday. Um, that, that's uh, thank you, Lord. But uh, if you're new, listen, you don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to panic. Um, the island is built for these storms. That's why a lot of the buildings, they're not the prettiest, but they're strong. Um, and so if you, you know, live in a concrete building, especially, uh, you know that. Certainly you want to be wise, be prepared, you know, get all the essentials, uh, the batteries and the flashlight and candle. If you have a portable stove and encourage you to maybe invest in that, sometimes the power will go out, but usually it's, it's, it's not a uh, you know, big deal. Uh, maybe have a few uh, non-perishable things. So like if at my house, that means spam and corned beef hash. So you don't have to judge me, but that's, uh, that's what we, we have. And then the essentials. So uh, Oreos, uh, <laughs> chips and salsa, right? All the essentials, those are important. All right. Um, and again, you don't have to panic, but, but I will say this, if family Mart closes, then you can be a little worried, right? So that, right. That's, that's usually the, the indicator like, Ooh, they're boarding up family Mart. You, you better yeah, be prepared. Okay. Uh, a couple of things before we get into our, our portion this morning, it's an update. So thank you for praying. If you're here last Sunday, I shared and asked for your prayers for, for two individuals, pastor Dan Bollinger. So thank you. In a week, he moved from the ICU. He's now in the critical care unit. Uh, he's awake, uh, he's improving. So man, thank you so much. Uh, and, and he was approved. So part of why it was really precarious for him with pneumonia, he had a, he has a, a heart condition, but he was approved to be on a donor list. So, uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, continue to pray for the Bollinger family as you think of it. So thank you though for praying. And the other is for pastor Chris Ayer from Coza Baptist church, good friend of ours, and we love, you know, the Koza and the team over there. But Pastor Chris's wife, Hisami, as I mentioned, uh, battling cancer. She was supposed to have surgery this past week, but they postponed that to do some more tests and to kind of relook at some, uh, you know, ways for treatment. So if you can continue to pray for the Air family and Pastor Chris and Hisami, I know that they would appreciate that. And we're so grateful, you know, for our Koza family. Um, the summer for us has been a summer of reuni reunions in many ways. Some of you guys know I was traveling, but also family and folks that have been visiting. Uh, this morning, we're really blessed. Our, our former youth pastor, uh, Dylan Dodd, and his lovely bride, Yoko, uh, are visiting along with their, their two young children, Judah and Lucas, uh, from Tokyo for a few days. In fact, they're supposed to leave tomorrow, but uh, because of the typhoon, we get some bonus days with them until Wednesday. Uh, I saw them come in, but I don't, I don't see them in here, so maybe they'd be downstairs or anyways. Uh, we're blessed that Dylan and Yoko can be with us. And then one last thing. So last Sunday, I also mentioned God was good to us. We are uh, blessed with two Bible college interns that are going to be serving basically with the balance of the summer and, and hanging out with us. Uh, the first is Julia. So Julia or Jules Reedy, as she goes by now, uh, was helping to lead worship this morning. Uh, she's a Marine Corps, comes from Marine Corps family. In fact, her family was stationed here three times with us. Um, the first time they're here, that's when she was born. So for her, she's only been, this is her third time back. But 
homegrown, homegirl, Calvary Okinawa DNA. Uh, we're really blessed that her, uh, her folks, you know, let her come for the summer. And so she'll be around. And then also Joel Martinez, if you uh, met him this morning, I think he was helping to greet. Super friendly guy, Joel. Uh, from California, first time to Japan. Uh, we're really blessed that they're here. They'll be helping with VBS and ministry in general with the youth stuff that's going on. And so when you see them, just give them a warm welcome. We're really grateful for them. And, uh, oh, actually, I, I lied. I actually have one more. Uh, the, the next uh, quick thing, just uh, an update and, uh, and um, announcement is that next Sunday and then the Sunday following, we're actually going to have a special guest speaker. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I'll be around. But a really good friend of ours, Pastor Mark Oshman, who was with Cadence for a number of years here. He used to run the, the harbor ministry outside of Gate 3. Good friend of ours. Uh, we as a church supported him and his family when they were uh, missionaries in Czechoslovakia. Uh, they have since uh, planted a church in Colorado, been wanting to come back to Oki for a number of years. Of course, COVID, uh, you know, just the calendar bully and plan bully for all of us. Uh, but finally, that door is open. So Mark and his family are coming out and uh, very graciously, he's like, hey, I'd be happy to teach for you. I'm like, oh, that'd be great. We have VBS and some other things going on. I'm actually doing a wedding in the middle of VBS, and so it'll be a busy time. Uh, anyway, so he's going to be here, invite you to come out, bring a friend, don't ditch church. He is a phenomenal, dynamic speaker, and he brings the word, and I know that we'll be blessed, okay? So that's happening next Sunday and the following Sunday. All right, well, with that, we are in Second Peter. So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can tab over, turn over to the book of Second Peter. If you are with us last Sunday, Welcome back. We started a brand new series. If you need to borrow a Bible, Caleb and Nate and those guys would be happy to let you borrow one. Just wave at them. Our series overall, we're just calling it Growing in God's Word. It's really uh, something that Peter will bring uh, from, you know, over and over for us, just uh, encouraging us uh, in the knowledge of the Lord. And that comes from growing and knowing um, in the Word of God. Uh, if you missed out from last Sunday, I invite you to check out the live stream or the podcast where we have that recorded. But this morning, we're going to just pick up where we left off, um, starting at verse 5, and we'll make our way all the way to verse 8. So just uh, a couple of verses there, not too far in, but uh, give our attention to that. I, I entitled our message this morning, A Growing Fruitfulness, A Growing Fruitfulness. So if you're there with me in Second Peter 1, I'd like to invite you to stand in honor of God and his word as we do. You know, for many of you, that's uh, part of your own customs and habit, right? We stand in, uh, for those that we honor. And so we want to do that for the Lord and for the word of God. We're dropping in the middle of some thoughts. So I will backtrack just for context um, so that we understand why, why is Peter saying these things and uh, what is he building upon? But he writes verse five, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, and then to virtue, knowledge, then to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, he says, perseverance, that's something we're to add or pursue. Your Bible might say patience. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, he then says, love. And then he adds this thought, and this is where we'll, we'll close for if these things are yours and they abound, so if they're part of who you are and they're growing, then he adds, then you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He'll continue with a warning and a yellow flag, but we're going to park here uh, for our time this morning. LJ prayed for us, so I appreciate that. When you take a moment, greet a neighbor, introduce yourself to somebody new, uh, say hello and good morning, and then we will jump in and unpack these verses together. So many of you know, uh, my family and I got to travel stateside, and one of the blessings that uh, traveling stateside that we got to enjoy, aside from uh, good Mexican food and the cereal aisle at Walmart, which is its own form of glory, just like to <laughs> hang out in there for a little bit, um, was the, the availability, the abundance, and the variety of, of low-cost fruit. Uh, arguably the quality isn't as good as we experience here in Japan, but the price uh, was certainly much less than what we typically pay here in Okinawa. Um, you know, in Japan, uh, fruit in itself generally is of a higher quality, um, and it's also, you know, comes with a price tag, right? It's a little more expensive. In fact, some of the most expensive fruit uh, in the world is found in Japan, grown in Japan and sold in Japan. So I found a few of these things as examples. The first is the white strawberry. Anybody, anybody ever have a white strawberry? Oh, a few of you? So on average, one strawberry will cost you 1,300 yen, so about 10 bucks for one strawberry. And so the first service, only one person had it. So Yumi-san and a few others have had a white strawberry. You guys, was it yummy? Was it worth it? Oh yeah? All right. <laughs> So if it's, if it's yucky, then Yumi owes you 10 bucks. That's, that's, what I, that's what I'm hearing there. So white strawberry. Uh, another uh, expensive fruit, uh, it's called the Yubari King Melon. And so um, I found a picture of this. So 500,000 yen, right? That's about 3,500 bucks. But so check this out. Um, just back in May, so just three months ago, or whenever May was, two months ago, Someone paid 3.5 million yen. So about $25,000. $25,000. million yen for just two of the the melons at auction. Man, someone's got a lot of money, right? (laughs) So you buy king melon. Uh, Another one is the Sakaiichi apples. So the Sakaiichi apples uh, basically boast they're large, they're you hold them in two hands, and they're supposed to be one of the most delicious apples in the entire world. Anybody have a Sakaiichi apple? Yumi, have your Sakaiichi apple? No? No one? All right. We'll go buy one. We'll split it in 85 ways. <laughs> Get a little sliver. Uh, so the Sakaiichi apple, on average, will cost you 2,500 yen. So about 20 bucks for one apple. Right? That's pretty pricey. The next thing uh, in Japan that's grown is the densuke, densuke suika. So the densuke watermelon. So one watermelon on average, on average is about 250 bucks. Which, you know, the watermelon, that's about $200, at least though at Sané, the one I go to, right? So it's not too far off. <laughs> and then lastly, um, one of my favorite fruits, the mango. So the Miyazaki mango, or in Japanese, it's called the taiyo no tamago. So the egg of the sun, the egg of the sun grown here in Japan, mainland Japan. Um, so last year, same thing at auction, two of them sold for 500,000 yen. So two mangoes for about 20, what, what is that, 30, 3,500 bucks for two mangoes. 
That's expensive, right? <laughs> That's ridiculous. So anyways, being stateside, then seeing a mountain of mangoes for about 100 yen each, 80 cents. I just dove in. I made like mango angels, you know. <laughs> it was glorious. It was fun. Anyways, all that to say, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about fruit. It ha- the Bible has a lot to say about quality of fruit, the abundance of fruit. Uh, and of course, when it speaks of fruit, there's, there's parts of it where it speaks of literal fruit. Uh, we read about giant grapes, the literal grapes. We read about pomegranates and figs. And so the Bible certainly speaks to literal fruit. But there are also many times where fruit is uh, an analogy. It's a metaphor. It's speaking to something else. And, and often it speaks to a person's character. God is speaking about our integrity, our actions, our attitudes, what comes out of our mouth, the fruit of our lips or uh, the fruit of our repentance, you know, the, the, the fruit of the spirit. And so uh, the Bible uses that term and it's speaking about and the idea basically we understand, right? What, what is your life producing? What is the product that your life is putting forth that people can see and what's on display the things that we do and the things that we say and the attitudes that we, that we cop. Uh, Jesus speaks about fruit and the idea of fruitfulness. Uh, in John chapter 15, for example, that's one example. And uh, he uses this metaphor how uh, he is the true vine. And you and I as followers in Christ, as believers, we are the branches Uh, The father is the vine dresser. And Jesus goes on to say that in John 15, you can read it later, that we are to abide in him. And so we plug into him. We make our home with the Lord. And when we do, then we will bear fruit. He goes on to say that God works in our lives in such a way that, you know, that there will be abundant fruit. There'll be more fruit in the things that the Lord does from time to time in our life. And so that the, the father is seeking after that, right? He's looking for fruit in our lives. And so we, we begin this morning here at Peter, just to make sure that we understand when he's talking about then fruitfulness, and he's talking about um, that will neither be barren or unfruitful. The, the idea is that God is seeking a fruitfulness from your life. He's looking for fruit, for the quality of fruit that our life would produce, an abundance of fruit that our life would produce. So both in in abundance and in excellence, God expects that from us. And so if that is what God expects that, you know, that's what God's expectation is, then how can we make sure that we hit that mark? What, what are the things that we should be doing to ensure that our life is growing in fruitfulness? And this is what Peter then prescribes for us. One of the ways that we can grow in fruitfulness. So I draw your attention back to verse five, where he says, or writes, but also for this reason, giving all diligence. We'll pause there. Another translation or your translation, your Bible might read, and besides this or upon this. So we jump in at verse five. And if you weren't with us last week, or if you're not familiar with second Peter, it begs the question, what is he talking about then? I mean, what's the transition for what reason are we to be doing these things? Now, starting at verse five and making our way basically into verse 11, we are going to move from verses one through four was more of a descriptor. 
Peter is introducing himself. He acknowledges his audience. He basically gives them a customary greeting. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then he lays out something that's just true for followers of Jesus Christ. The things that God has given us. What has he given us? He's given us uh, divine power. He's given us a divine nature. He's given us these great promises. And they all mean something. But that's what God has given us. So he moves from descriptor, description. And now from verse 5 and on, he moves then to prescription. What do we do in response to what God has given us? God has blessed us. God has poured into our life. He brings us to a relationship with him. And now what do we do in response to everything that God has done in our life? And this is where Peter then brings us. So again, we're partakers of God's divine nature. We have God's divine power. We have his promises. That's verses three and four and verses five and on is then what do we do with that? You know, arguably where life exists, then growth should exist as well. And so for us then, life abundant and life eternal, being born again. Peter in his first letter says, we have been brought into a living hope and being brought into a living hope is just the beginning. That's not the end. When we come into salvation, when God called you and called you to himself, that isn't the end then. That's just the beginning, the beginning of something amazing and dynamic and something that, well, should be growing We shouldn't be in the same place when we first got saved than a year later, five years later, 20 years later. That's a rested development. We as God's kids, because he loves you and me, he wants us to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Essentially, that's what Peter's going to tell us. God is faithful. He has that desire for all of us, but he's faithful to supply Everything we need, right? He sets us up for success. And that's what verses three and four are about. And that's why it's important. It was important for us to make sure we had a good grasp of that. Because if we just drop in at verse five, we can walk away thinking, well, I just got to try harder. This is something I got to do on my own. I got to pull myself by my, my own bootstraps and, you know, just have willpower, make this happen. No, 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 no. Verses five and on is our response to everything that God did what we do in light of what God has done for us. We, we put into practice those things that God has provided. And so we get to discover then spiritual growth is a response then what God has done, but it's not automatic. That's the idea. It's not automatic. God, God is faithful to do his part, but it requires our participation. It requires us to respond as the Lord leads us and guides us to spiritual disciplines, to diligence. I mean, that's what he tells us here, right? He says for us that we then, for this reason, giving all diligence. It is an intention. It is purposed. It is movement. But we can't do that until we make sure we understand verses three and four. So this is where we start. This is the baseline. Anytime we're given an imperative, I hope that you know this. A grace for us to do comes from a grace that's given to us, right? So we we can do what God has prescribed for us to do because God provides the ability to do so. God provides the batteries for us. 
Um, my wife ended up getting one of those portable, rechargeable batter fans. Have you seen those? Little thing. You, they buy them, you can get them at the 100 yen store, although they're in the 300 yen. But anyways, you, know, you get them. Um, and so it's cool. Like, you just plug it in, you charge it, and all you can do is press a button, and then it just goes. There's doesn't need the fan herself anymore, and um, she just turns on the button, and no need to wave that thing, right? She just presses a couple of times, and it turns on speed, and it's handy. All that God has given us, all that uh, has been provided for us, the, the Lord gives us the power to do so. We just got to, in a sense, turn it on, like engage, plug in. God will enable us to do because God has given us his spirit to do so. By the power of his Holy Spirit, we can do these things. In fact, not just, I would say, not just even the, the ability to do it, but I would even say the intentionality to do it, the desire to do it. We're going to hear or read, I should say, where Peter's going to tell us in verse 10, he's going to say, be even more diligent. So there's this idea that we're going to, Add diligence, be diligent, but even more diligent. He's going to say, and make your call and your election sure. And so we're going to unpack those and think, okay, what, what does that mean? The idea that we work out what God has worked in. And so it's important for us to understand. So God has given us his divine power and promises to supply everything that we need. But also in verses three and four, God gave us his divine nature. And that's just as important. Because nature implies then we then desire, our will then should line up with the will of God. Not only the ability to do that, but the desire to do that. Because if we truly belong to the Lord, there should be then, we should find in ourselves a desire to want to do the things that God has called us to do. That we want to please the Father. And those things work hand in hand. God doing his part but then God giving us the desire and the ability to do that. And it's summarized greatly just in this one verse. Paul writes to the Philippian church in chapter two, verse 13. He says, it's God who works in you, giving you the desire and the power to do those things that please him. Philippians 2.13. That's the New Living Translation. Hey, Keegan, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a little on the tinny side or the high end. Forgive me. The converse of that, though, is like if, we, if we're lacking the power and, and we find in ourselves there's just no desire, like, eh, I don't think that doesn't resonate with me at all. That, that should be a red flag for us. That, that should be a flag for us to consider, like, all right, am I even really saved then? I mean, is that, am I even really following the Lord? Do I know the Lord? It becomes an indicator on the dashboard of your faith. That starts flashing like, to make sure, like, where are you with Jesus? If that desire is not even there. Now we all struggle with that, right? Because we all are sinful. We all fight against this thing called the old nature. I'm grateful for the apostle Paul, who even though he was a mature believer, even though he was gifted, he planted churches in the book of Romans in chapter seven, he talks about this battle. He says, I see this war, you know, MMA match, even within my own life. The very thing that I want to do. So desire is there. He says, but I, I find something like I can't do it because my old nature, my new nature are going at it. And so we can be real. That happens. 
But if there's no desire, if there's, that's not even present and all, that, that, that should be, a, 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 again, a red light, a red flag for us to be like, hey, what, where am I with the Lord? And so we have and should have desire because we have God's nature, but also we have God's power. And so I would submit to you for that reason, for that very reason that God has given you everything that you need. God has given, provided for us all that we need upon that truth that our provision is given then we can then with his divine power, with his divine nature, with these precious, with these great promises, respond then to give all diligence, giving all diligence. Your, your Bible might even say, make every effort. And and the, the root of those words, it, it speaks to intensity and intentionality. We're making every effort that we're going to be pursuing these things. And we might think, well, or, or say it this way. Are we making every effort to get ready for this storm? Did you flip over your trampoline? Cause if not say goodbye, okay. go get a good bounces today and say goodbye or then apologize to your neighbor tomorrow. Right? Intention, intentionality, desire, intensity, priority. That's all wrapped up into that idea that we're going to give all diligence that we're going to uh, make every effort We may even frame it in a question. Are, are we doing the thing that Peter says that we should be doing? See, many of us have, I would I'll call them good. We have good personal goals that we are diligent. We are determined, right? We are committed. For some of you it might be financial. And those are good. We want to be good stewards. So we want to save. We want to uh, reduce our spending. We want to be more generous. Those are good things. Some of you might have family goals, um, health and fitness goals. You want to be able to run longer, lift more, um, lose weight, whatever, whatever goal you might have. Those, those are, those can be good things. Maybe it's educational. You want to get a degree, a diploma. You want to get the next certificate. You want to move to the next level. You want to be able to dive deeper or whatever it may be that you are pursuing, right? We, we have these goals and they could be good goals. And sometimes we can be very diligent, very committed. And we, we marked out time. We've marked out money. We, right. We, we put it on the calendar and we're like, all right, these are things that I, I, you know, I have skin in the game. I have money invested. I'm pursuing these things. My, my question for us, and I think Peter's question for us is where, where does the pursuit of God fit into that? Where does Pursuing those things that the Lord has prescribed for us, walking in the good works that God has prepared for us. Where does that fit? Is that even part of something we think about? So no, no condemnation, but conviction's good. Maybe for, for some of us, it is like, man, I, I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's even part of the equation. And so maybe the spirit today would say, oh, then there needs to be some adjustments. There needs to be something that realigns, some reprioritizing of, of our calendar, of our pursuits, of our passions. That we'd be about the Father's business. Now, please understand, too, what's behind all of this. Notice these things that he lays out, these seven attributes. These, these are qualities. 
These are qualities. And so it's a little bit abstract. Like, how do you pursue these qualities? But they, they, they reveal something to us about the, the, the heart of God for us. See, I, I would lovingly argue that God's focus, his goal, if you will, for you and for me, isn't necessarily that we would be doing more. God's focus, I would say, is his heart for us is more for who we're becoming. Like he cares more about who we are as a person, your character and your integrity, uh, your godliness, your holiness, your purity, your love for him your love for others. Like that, that's what God's looking at. Like that, that's the model on the machine that the Lord wants to mold us to. Not necessarily the, our activities, not necessarily the, you know, the things that are on our calendar. Now the, the things on our calendar can be good and they should be a reflection of who we are. Right. That, but so often we get that backwards. In fact, we can be even be very religious, right? We can do very religious things and yet inwardly, be dead. I mean, that, that was the criticism that Jesus gave to the Pharisees. He says, Oh, you're, you, you worship me with your mouths. You know, the lingo. Well, but what, what's the charge though? Your heart's far from me. And so we understand when we come to these kind of things, uh, these imperatives, these directives that God gives us in scripture, they're good for us but we do them in response to what God has already done for us. It's an overflow of the spirit working in our lives. And, and then we realize, oh, we, we should want these things because they're good things because God wants good things for us. But it's not so much this for us then to check a box. All right, I'm doing these things, but it's really God's looking at who you are as a person, who you're becoming. My character and yours, my integrity and yours. And so we can frame what Peter describes for us, this prescription even for us as a question for us. Are, are we making every effort then to prioritize these things? Are we making effort to, to pursue these things? I, I'm convicted. If you're like me, I think sometimes I, I, I make the things of God just as a, as a side venture. It's like, well, when I have extra time, I'll do those things. If I have extra money, I'll do those things. Uh, you know, we, we all can be guilty of like, all right, well, I'm going to give God nine, 90 minutes on a Sunday if Rick goes over 95 minutes. And but then that's all, that's all we give to the Lord. So if our answer isn't, what have we been pursuing? What are we making every effort? If it's not that we would desire and then pursue to live more on fire for the Lord and, and be closer to Jesus in this coming year at the end of 2023 than we were a year ago or two years ago, then perhaps we really need to make an evaluation of what we're pursuing. And I say that in love and, and I have to practice what I preach. So for this very reason, for the very reason that God has given us all that we need, a nature, power, and promises, we can then be in pursuit, give all diligence, make every effort to do what he says, to add to your faith, virtue. And then he gives us this list, seven things that he lists out for us. We have to we'll pause for a moment because when we read that phrase, add to your faith, in, in the original Greek, it's the word epikorgeo. 
and it means to supply. It means to uh, enhance. It's the idea of being generous. You're, you lavishly um, you know, give something. Right? You lavishly pour on something. It's like uh, whipped cream on your pie. Right? That, you know, it's like you can't see the pie anymore. You're going to just be ridiculous with the amount of whipped cream. That's the only way to eat pie. Amen? Yeah. That's the word there. But we have to be careful because he's not talking about our salvation, right? He's not saying, oh, we need to add to our salvation as though we can enhance our salvation. <laughs> we can't do anything, right? Our salvation is completely provided. Jesus Christ lived and died for you and for me. His sacrifice was uh, completely satisfactory to the father. We don't add anything to our salvation. We don't bring anything to that equation. We are simply the recipients of the gift of God, of his grace, because he loved you and his great mercy that he saved you by his grace. Nothing we do, not of our works, nothing that we bring. So he's not talking about our salvation. Our salvation is secured. It's given to us. We talked about that last week. So what does he mean then to, to add to this? It's the idea then that's our baseline. And God wants to then put whipped cream, if you will. God wants to give us extra. God wants to enhance our experience. He wants to add to our, the dynamic of our walking with the Lord so that we can grow, so that we can mature, so that we can experience greater things the Lord has for us. But we have to engage it. In the Old Testament, when God uh, led the children of Israel out of the desert, out of bondage, out of Egypt. He gave them amazing promises. One of the promises he gave them is that their chanclas wouldn't wear out, right? They didn't have to go get new shoes. Another promise he gave them was that he was going to be with them. He was going to protect them. So he sent a cloud during the sunny days and he sent a pillar of fire during the night to keep them warm and to protect them. God was with them. And God also promised to provide for them that they were going to have they're going to have MREs, spiritual MREs. Every morning when they got up, this interesting uh, white substance would be on the ground. And it was called manna. And manna in Hebrew basically means, what is it? They're, you know, they don't even know the name of it. <laughs> and God said, listen, I'm going to provide for you. I'll provide enough. I will sustain you. And so every morning it was provided, but they had to still get up and go get it. They had to go and gather it and, you know, and make whatever you make with manicotti and manna, <laughs> manna cream pie and manna guineas, right? You know, so they saw, the, they saw the take what God had provided. They saw the engage and, 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 and uh, what's the word I want to look, appropriate the things that God had supplied. And again, that's what, that's what God calls us to do. There are blessings. The journey, there are promises, there are journey, there's provision. Uh, but, but we get to experience. We get to um, add blessings to ourselves, blessing upon blessings as we pursue these things. And so they're settled. They're a little bit abstract, but let's go through them. And they basically mirror the fruit of the spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians five, by the way. So it's virtue. He says, add to your faith virtue. It's the same word that he used back in verse three, where he says, God has called us uh, by glory and virtue. 
Virtue means moral courage. It's the idea that we stand up for what is right. That we're willing to do the right thing, even if no one's watching. We do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And we're doing it not just so that other people can see. In the last few years, this term virtue signaling has, you know, a term that's generated. And, and I think if I were to define that, it's the idea that people are, are doing things, good things, for the whole purpose of just projecting that they're good. Like, I think I'm morally good, so I'm going to do this good thing and so that you can think that I'm good. You know, and sometimes the motive might be questionable. You're really doing that because it's good or you're just doing it because you want people to think that you're good, right? But for us as, as believers, true Christian virtue, it, it does the right thing because we want to do the right thing for the Lord. And, I'd, and I would add this, regardless of what other people think. I mean, we want to be mindful of our witness. You know, we want to have like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? An arrogant attitude. But it is a sanctified, like, I'm going to do this because this is the right thing to do and I'm going to honor God and I don't really care what other people think. A sanctified version of that. We operate from a higher motive. We operate from a higher motive. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. Uh, you know, and I know, right? If we, you, you get on that track of just trying to please people for the sake of people and appease people, that is a fruitless endeavor. That is a waste of time and heart and energy. And so virtue is the idea that we're going to do the right thing because it honors the Lord. Knowledge. If you've been in church for a while, you know this Greek word, it's gnosis. It's, it conveys the idea of firsthand knowledge. It's, it's experiential knowledge. You know it because you've experienced it. Right? Yumi can say, oh, the white strawberries are yummy because she ate them. The rest of us are like, all right, we have to believe her or not. She has gnosis. In this context, it speaks of, of practical wisdom. The idea of, of knowing what is right and doing what is right. And where does it come from? Well, Peter's going to point us. It comes from knowing the word of God. I mean, our whole series title, growing in the knowledge, growing in the word of God. And the Lord is so good to us. He doesn't just call us to himself and be like, all right, here you go. Figure it out. But he gives us, he gives us his spirit he gives us each other. He gives us the word of God. He gives us a standing invitation. Anytime you need wisdom, you can come and ask, and I'll give that to you. Anytime you need peace, you can come and ask. You can come boldly to my throne room, and, and I will give that to you. And so we have access, free access to wisdom, to knowledge. And yet, how often do we then go to other sources for it, right? We're going to Google. We're going to uh, chat GPT. We're going wherever we're going nowadays. And so knowledge, we want to add to knowledge, add to our faith knowledge. It's a blessing we can experience ourselves. The word of God, spending time in the best place where knowledge is found. He adds to that, he says, self-control. There's a lot we can say about self-control. Self-control is the idea, it's a fruit of the spirit, but it's, 
It's, it's mastering your emotions. We don't have to suppress them. Don't get me wrong. God gave you emotions. God gave us our feelings. Those are God-given things. We, you know, the, we read about Jesus. He's sad. He's mad. He's angered. We read about God who carries those same attributes. We're, we're created in his image. And so with that, we, we have emotions. We're an emotional being. That's part of our makeup. But the problem though, that often that you and I find is that uh, our emotions aren't serving us. They're mastering us. And so we, we give them that place and then like our high highs and low lows. And we find ourselves all over the place. And what happens is we become, you know, it's just impacts all relationships and it causes problems with our loved ones and friends and at work and how we process information and the way that we respond to things. This is a biggie. And by observation, I, I would say this is one that it, the sooner that you and I can learn to give God control of our emotions and a spirit to help us to self-control, the better you will do in life. In every arena, this, our emotional intelligence, right? Our emotional maturity. It's a huge game changer. He adds, he says, and then add perseverance or patience. And patience and perseverance are similar to self-control. They're akin. But it's the idea that we can have control under external pressures. Things that are pulling at us or pressuring us. It's, it's the idea of enduring. It's the idea of, of being patient, long suffering. We're suffering long under stress and strain. And we're not just giving up. That we're not weak in the faith. That we haven't become uh, anemic that we're like, Oh, forget it. I'm just, I'm done. I'm quitting. You know, it's the, the work of the spirit in our life as we allow God to work through these things and we, and we accept them. All right, God, you're, you're working in me. It's my character. I, I'm the building project. You allow these things in my life that, that cause me to cry out to you, that cause me to make a decision. Am I going to go my old way and my old life and pursue, you know, and let anger or frustration or, or sadness or whatever it is, just take control. Or am I going to say, all right, God, you have a plan and a purpose in this. I'm crying out to you. Paul, Paul says, I, we've been hard pressed. We've been knocked down. It's also a sanctified version of you get knocked down, but you get up again. Life is hard, but God is good. And so Peter would say, listen, don't stay down. Keep going persevere. He says, and add to perseverance, godliness. There's a lot to say about godliness. I mean, it's the very thing that the Lord wants to work in you, shape us to. Godliness is the opposite of selfish. It's the opposite of pride. 
It's to have this attitude and this heart set that we want to honor God and all that we do, whether we eat or drink and everything that we do, we do to the glory of God. It's cultivating then a a behavior and a belief that's in line then with the person and the character of God. And pursuing those things, that we care about those things. We even care about being godly. the, The default is to be worldly. The default is to be selfish, right? The default is to be me-centered. When Jesus says, if you abide in the vine, you abide in me and I'll abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Even in that, that's intentionality. And I want to give you a gold star today for being here, for making this a priority. Pursuing godliness. And he says, and then to godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. In the Greek, it's the word Philadelphia, where we get the city of brotherly love, phileo. It's, a, it's a, a brotherly type of love. It's a friendly type of love. We talked before, when God called you, he called you to himself first and foremost. You have a new identity. You have a new nature. You have all of these promises that God brings you into. And along with that, God has given us, well, we have a new family. And, and here's the thing. God cares about how his kids get along. The Bible has a lot to say about how we talk about one another, how we talk to one another, the way that we interact. We can't say we love God and hate our brother. We shouldn't gossip and backbite, slander. How we treat each other. Jesus says, Here, here's a model. Here, here's, here's an indicator. The, wor- the world's going to know how we, that we belong to him by the way that we love each other, the way that we interact with each other. And I, and I, get, I get that in the natural. You know, I, I'm a dad. I have four kids. And one of the things that can get me in my red zone, like can get me a little hot, is that when my kids begin to be mean to each other, like the normal banter, that's okay. That's kind of, you know, they like their mom. They like to do that, right? So, yeah. <laughs> And the boys, you know, when they're wrestling, I'm like, all right, just don't break my TV, you know, go over there. But when it, when it moves into mean, when it moves into, um, you know, just unkind, that's when I'm like, hey, uh-uh, time out. You, you crossed the line. Like, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And I think my kids know it. And so I understand, I think... I, I, God, the father looking at us, be like, Hey, you, we, sometimes we cross a line, how we talk about each other, how we say things, how we treat one another. It shouldn't be. We're to, we're to pursue brotherly kindness. See, when we're unkind and we're mean, we backbite, we gossip, we slander, we ignore, we play games with people. And God, God's grieved. It grieves the Holy spirit. And I would say to, say to us, that's conduct unbecoming a Christian. We, shouldn't, we should be pursuing this. What else? And he adds love. That's the cherry on top. Love. And this is God's form of love. It's agape love. It's the highest love. It's an unconditional love. It is all of 1 Corinthians 13 love, right? It's a love that celebrates. It's a love that holds no record of wrong. It's a love that forgives it's a love that, that lifts others up. It's a love that bears all things, hopes all things, 
It's a love that celebrates when other people win. It is a love that John says, we don't just love in our words, but we should love in our deed. Not just something we say, not just something we espouse, but something we do. And so all of those things, those seven things, I would say, we'll just wrap them all up together. The idea is it's, it's your responsibility as a response to what God has given us, what God is doing. Then we then pursue those things and we put them into practice. We add to them. We, we enhance our, our walk with the Lord. And what's the benefit? They themselves have a benefit. It's verse eight. Because if they're yours, that's the first question you have to answer. Are they yours? Is this something that we are taking personal possession of? We have ownership in this. If they're yours, and then Peter adds, and they abound, expectation of growth, expectation of, of, of adding to, not just settling for, you know, mediocre. What does he say? Then you and I will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like many things in life, our Christian walk is in motion. It's dynamic. It's not designed to be static. It's not like we, we come to these things and we'll check a box. All right, I was kind. I was nice. I'm good. All right, I, I've arrived. Th- these are things that we are constantly in, pers- in pursuit of. We really never come to the end. It's like dishes or laundry. Like, I think I'm done. Nope, here's another cup. What in the world? Throw it away. Right? <laughs> Just a sense of accomplishment. We're never finished. We're continually working at these things and they're continually working in us. The first question we have to answer though is, are are they ours? If they're yours, are they yours? We have ownership of this. Do we possess these qualities? Do we want to? And the second question, are they abounding? Are we growing in these graces? We're allowing ourselves to be stretched and be challenged, be rebuked. Allowing someone to come in and say, hey, there's an area that you are stagnant in. That's hard, right? Be challenged in these character traits. Worse though, if we're shrinking back to the old ways. There's a lot sometimes... You know, we, we will cheat ourselves because what happens if, again, if you're like me a little bit like, well, this is just the way I am. Right? We'll use that excuse. Well, I got Irish blood in me, so that's how I am. Or I took this test and I'm a number eight or I'm a red or I'm a zebra or whatever, you know, those things, right? <laughs> and, and sometimes we use that as an excuse. Well, I'm these letters. And so if I'm these letters or I'm this thing on this particular test, that means this is just who I am. I would say, okay, that, let me give you a, uh, a, an indicator of personality, but the word of God and the spirit of God it is the game changer. Right? God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us the same. And while that may be an explanation for some of our tendencies, the danger for us is using it as an excuse for not growing. And we got we to gotta lay that down. Because I don't think any of us wants to be un, you know, wants us to be unfruitful. I mean, who wants to be unfruitful and barren here today? Right? None of us. We want to be like, yeah, I think I want to waste my life. I want to just waste my Christian experience and walk and throw away my energy and time. No, no one wants that. 
And so God, we know, right? God calls us to something greater, a higher calling and a higher purpose, life abundant, things that we can enjoy and experience. We cheat ourselves. God wants to give us victory. God wants to give us growth. God wants us to overcome those old sinful tendencies. And the question though is, what are we doing with what God's given us? Because what Peter tells me here, what Peter says here to me is that there is a compounding interest of spiritual dividends that you and I can experience when we put these things into practice. And this becomes a diagnostic for us. We're going to read through these things and we can ask ourselves, are, are we pursuing them? Have we made every effort? Is this something that's even, again, you know, a pursuit of ours? And if it's not, praise the Lord, guess what? Today you can make that. We'll just close here. Listen, when we follow, when we follow these prescribed things that God gives us, and he's given us his nature, he's given us his power. We can't forget that. When we then pursue these disciplines, guess what? It pays dividends for us. We then get to experience. That's the, that's the great grace of God. We glorify him, but guess what? We get to the blessing and that, a greater fruitfulness in our lives becomes the, the product of that. It's a greater joy. It's a greater grace. It is a greater walk in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To know him. And as Paul would say, and I want to know him more. And as you write to the Philippians, all the old things, all my old pursuits, everything that used to be the markers of success in my life. In Philippians, he says, I count it as rubbish. Philippians 3.8. All those things, I consider them lost. They're, they're, I write them off, be, you know, because the, the surpassing knowledge, the worth and the value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, I count all those things lost that I might know him, that I might gain Christ. And I pray that that, that would be our heart set this morning, this day. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace in our lives. We thank you for your word. And I pray that these truths, these pursuits, will be more than just notes that we write on our notebooks or the margin of our Bible or what we take note of in the moment. But Lord, these would be things that you would weave into our hearts. They would become our desires and that we would respond then in obedience. Lord, thank you that it's you who then works in us both to do and to will according to your good pleasure. And may we respond Lord by doing and willing according to your good pleasure. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. I pray, as always, that you're encouraged and challenged by our time in the word. God bless you. Enjoy this rest of the beautiful day. Get prepared for the storm um, as it comes. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the week to come. Again, don't ditch church next Sunday. Mark's going to come. He's an amazing, dynamic uh, preacher. I know that you'll be blessed. All right? Have a great day.